winter. Hello and welcome to the 26th of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Alva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Davy Kirkpatrick of Iona. Davy has lived in Iona for the vast majority of his life. It was absolutely brilliant to spend time with Davy. We covered a whole load of ground before I even switched the recorders on. Speaking with Davy, you get a glimpse of the life of the Isle of Iona, and it's greatly obvious to me that we have a lot more to talk about. I'm really looking forward to spending more time speaking with the Iona residents over the coming months. We recorded this episode at Davy's home, not far from the ferry. The conversation goes all over the place. We talk about growing up on the island, going away for school, various characters and community members of the past and present. We talk briefly about the politics of passenger ferries and the start of commercial crabbing. We also talk about a remarkable family called the McCormacks, who achieved quite extraordinary things. The whole What We Do in the Winter project has been sponsored in kind by the Island Bakery, and everyone who takes part in it gets a complimentary packet of lemon melts, which are always gratefully received. The website, whatwedointhewinter.com, has photos from Davy and links to the topics covered in our chat. There are thousands of links. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with more information and hot waffle. And now, it is with great pleasure that I pass you over to our first participant from the Isle of Iona, Davy Kirkpatrick. Who are you? I'm David Kirkpatrick from the island of Iona. And I suppose I've been here nearly 72 years. My father was at sea during the war. And then once, and he met my mother there in Greenock. Hmm. And once he was released from the pool, they came back home. And I suppose I would come to Iona as a baby. I've been here ever since. So were you born in Greenock? I was born in Greenock. Rankin Memorial Hospital? There's a debate about that. I can never remember which was, because there's Latfield and Rankin. Yes. And Charlie, my brother, was born in one and I was born in another. <laughs> I'm not sure just which, which way it is. So, I, yes, I wasn't one of them. I was born in, uh, I was born in the Rankin. <laughs> well, so maybe we've got something in common, else. Exactly. There <laughs> uh, uh, was a big green at that point in time. With a big, uh, there was quite a lot of Iona connection there at that time. Really? Well, you know Vary Colin, uh, the Julie, well, her grandfather was uh, Iona. In fact, their house was called Iona and Inverkip Road. All right. If you drive out Inverkip Road, on the left, just after you pass the Cardle, uh, uh, Cardle Hill, the cemetery. Yes, yeah. The roundabout, and if you go out that, and then on your left-hand side, there's a row of uh, red sandstone yeah, bungalows. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of them's Iona. Still is today, as far as I know. And that was Archie MacDonald, uh, Vary's grandfather. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. So you're... Your dad was from Iona originally. Aye, aye, aye. And what about his folks? Are they from Iona as well? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, the, the Carpatic side actually came from the mainland and he came here as a schoolmaster. All right. And Gosh. he taught music in the school. Wow. And he then got in tow with the girl in Sea View. And and the product of that was Charlie Kirkpatrick. He mm-hmm. moved on, the teacher, and he went away to Skye. Uh-huh. He was up about Waternish and Skye, the Invegan area. Lovely. And I think he must have been in Orkney as well, because just there a month ago was the 50th anniversary of the Long Hope Lifeboat disaster. And that was a Daniel Kirkpatrick, was a coxswain. Yeah. And Kevin... Carpatic today is a coxswain, and as far as I know, there's a connection there. Yeah. Some of those old photographs you see coming up for uh, to do with that, then I can see a resemblance to our side. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I don't know, not very sure. But anyway, anyway the, the my grandfather was left in the care of his grandparents, really, and he met a girl, Elizabeth Drummond, who. I'd come originally from Glasgow, I think, and uh, she was brought up by the McInnesses up, up the road, out in the west side. And she married Charlie Kirkpatrick, and her sister married a, a Kilpatrick from Glasgow. Two sisters married, one Kirk and one Kilp. 
Oh, right. Yeah. No connection, but... Uh, that, Right. So the Carpathic stayed in Iowa, and that's where I come from. Right. Well, Kill was the more common one, actually. Aye. And most folk would say to me, Kill Padre, and so it's written some, somebody that. In fact, I think maybe in that program last night, actually, the fellow was referring to me as Kill Padre. Ah. Yeah, but that's quite common. Okay. Mm. And your mum's side, what about your mum's side? Where are they from? Uh, they are Greenock. Right. Uh, up beside the Carroll Hill Laundry. Mm -hmm. Okay. 53 Kelly Street. And she was, aye, educated green up. Uh, her grandfather worked on the railway line between, between Dumfries and Cairn Ryan, uh, Port Patrick, I should say. Oh, right. Um, Gosh. Right. And there's photographs of him doing that. And then... Uh, Isn't that line still active? No, no, not at all. No, no. Aye. Beeching did away with that. Oh, Dr. Beeching. Aye, uh, wonderful <laughs> man. <laughs> it was funny... Uh, a good few years ago now, uh, we must have been down at a funeral for that, one of that, it was Crawford's somewhere connections there, and they farmed up in the hills above Greenock, mm -hmm. and there was a Neely McInnes, where Sandy Brinton stays today, mm -hmm. Neely Mackey as we called him, and so I'm speaking to this Crawford man uh, at the funeral. He says, he says, we used to buy cattle from Neely Mackey. Now, I don't know whether that was it, what I was saying to you before we started recording, whether that was at a sale in Benesson, yeah. or, or whether those cattle were putting on to the Denara Castle in Benesson Pier and taken down directly to the Brumalaw. I'm not very sure. But anyway, there was the, you could see that connection coming through. But I would say the, the Browns, which is uh, my mother's maiden name, they, they were uh, carpenters, they were tradesmen. Right. You know, they didn't then to do with them. In, in fact, my grandmother was very keen for me to go and serve my time there and work at the IBM. Really? Because IBM, as you of know, course, was a big, big, yeah. big employer. Big blue. And yeah. there's quite a lot of my relations on that side were in the IBM. Right. So I, I would have got in there all right if I'd wanted to. Right. I didn't want to do anything else and other come home and fish. Yeah. And that's what I did. So let's go to your childhood then. Um, you've first couple of years in Greenock. Right. Do you remember much about it at all? Well, I, <laughs> we're down visiting the grandparents as far as I know. I'm not sure about that, but I was certainly... And I, the, the the stone steps of the tenement close. Mm -hmm. The bottom first step was very worn, and I broke my leg. Oh yeah. I don't remember breaking my leg, but I was told it was in that step. But I remember getting taken to Oban by my father to get the plaster taken off my leg. Right. Of That's strange. And the shop in Iona at that point in time was just at the top of the pier there. Yeah. And it was a nice wooden polished counter, and I just. That, I thought I was on top of that counter and then the big calipers. And that that's the three things. Oh. So I must have been, we must have been in Iona by, by the time I was two. Right. You I was born in 1947, immediately after the war. But a lot of those men weren't released from the pool, you see, until yeah. later on. Uh, so that's what I remember. And then later on, going up to the Cross of Lorraine. Oh, yes, up in the hill, yeah, yeah. yeah. up in the hill, French, yeah. was it Free French Monument? Aye. Mm -hmm. Aye, aye. Again, there's MacArthur's there as well. One of the doctors in Greenock was a MacArthur from Iona. And she married a Dr. Lamb, who also was a doctor there as well. Aye. Oh. That's, that's the first thing I remember, I suppose. I suppose the next thing then I remember is, that this is... 1947 is the National Health Service. But the maternity hadn't come in at that time. Uh, I think it was just the main, main line, uh, I think. I, you can, yeah, I don't think maternity came in until about 1949 or maybe just after that. Uh, uh, anyway, this takes you to Collins, say, Alistair. Uh -huh. Because the Strathconas had, oh, yes. had a big house in Glencoe. Uh -huh. And they gave it to the medical folk for a maternity hospital. And that's where my younger sister was born in Glencoe, Gosh. 1949. She's 70 this year. Uh, and I remember going over in the boat with her father to meet my mother and my wee baby sister coming home. 
because there was no ferry. I, I presume Robert McCallum, Robin's father, the garage in Arfinig. Uh, All right. Then he hired cars then in those days, and I presume that he was sent up to Craig and Ewer to, to meet my mother and my sister. I presume that. Um, I, so you can remember meeting your sister for the I, first time? I remember going over and, and anchoring the boat off. But I don't remember my sister or anything like that. I don't, you know, I don't, it's just that bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in the family, there's yourself, there's a brother and your sister. Two sisters. Two sisters? Aye. Mm-hmm. So what was it like growing up in Iona? Where did you grow up on the island? Just, we stayed at the top of the pier, uh, which was, I suppose, the ancestral home. That's where the McPhersons and the Carpatics were along there. Yeah, until Carol and I got married, and well, we didn't move in here straight away, but we came here eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were brought up there. Uh, our father was killed when we were really very young. Right. Uh, yeah, he worked up at the Iona community, the rebuilding, along with Callum McPherson and Hugh Lamont and, yeah. and those boys. And they were unloading uh, Canadian timber for the cloisters, and the uh, sling broke. Oh, and he yeah. get killed. So we were really very young then. Yeah. My younger sister doesn't remember her father. So there was a whole lot that that made things slightly different. But yeah. it, it was it was good. But wherever you grow up, yeah. whether it's in a slum or wherever it is, as long as you've got the parental love, yeah. then you can cope then. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we were lucky. Yeah. Our mother was there, and, and our grandmother was there as well. Yeah. You know, our father's mother. Yeah. So it was good, and we were in school with all the rest of them. Yeah, just go through the system, don't you? Indeed. Yeah. So, what was your mum like? She must have been a very strong lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, character, I think. Very fiery red hair. Right. Just wild red hair. Uh-huh. Well, she was a nurse. Right. And and she nursed in Greenock and she nursed in the chest hospital in Oban for a while during the war as well. Right. And then the King George V used to do the daily tour daily tour from Oban. Tobermory, staff of Iona back into Oban by the south and vice versa. Yeah. And so she used to get fish from wherever it came from. It came in wee wooden boxes and she used to sell fish. Uh, we did the gas cylinders. Uh, all that kind of stuff Gosh. and because my father had to do with the Iona community my mother worked up there as well for a while mm-hmm. for quite a lot of time actually on and off but a lot of those men coming back from the war miners quite a few of them were actually miners which I suppose was a big industry then right. but and I suppose church going at that point in time was a Very big thing so, as yeah, well totally. uh, so those men decided to go back to night school and, and get their degrees really and become ministers ah gosh it's just you know a lot of them a lot of them it seemed to the, the back house at Seaview was a clearing house if you want because my mother always had the kettle on and you know <laughs> they just <clears throat> all that generation one name that a lot of folk listening to this will know is, is uh, Lord Martin of Shuna uh-huh. Hugh Martin now his father was George McLeod's deputy yeah. Uh, and he ended up we weren't of the peers in Finnefer and Iona today if it wasn't for Hugh Martin because a lot of folk objected to those peers getting built really? oh aye, aye way back in whenever year it was 60 something 70 something whenever it was no 70 something uh-huh. uh, and Hugh Martin was a QC at that point in time and right. he he was employed by Argyll County Council to defend the action uh, of building the piers and there was a public inquiry in Benesson Hall and he that's the only time I've ever been in a court of law in my life yeah. and by God to watch those men working it was it was, a, it, was a, it was an education mm-hmm. anyway he won the case and the piers were built uh, so his father his mother all those his wife uh, all those kind of folk were coming through the back house and see you an education Education, really was. When you look back at it, anyway, ah, yeah. Uh, what, what were the piers like before? Well, the square of the Isle here and those other boats come into that. That was the pier. Right. Okay. Well, it's leather nails. Everything moves very fast. Yeah. I mean, if they build a new pier in Craig and you in the ten years, then it's probably it'll be obsolete in in thirty years' time yeah. because the ferry design will change. Yeah. 
Colonel Miller of Torrissey Castle, mm-hmm. Chris James's uncle, our yeah. connection, he was our counsellor at that time, yeah. right? And when we left home to go to school, we had to leave here today to get to home tomorrow. Yeah. So we, there was no B&Bs in Finnefer, so we had to hire uh, Robert McCallum to get us to Benesson, uh, and we stayed with uh, Freena McDougall's uh, mother, up in Sheep now, and then we got the bus the next morning. The only money that we had to have leaving Iona, if we forgot money or whatever, we had to have sixpence old money to pay our peer dues at the old pier in Craig because they wouldn't let you on the boat if you didn't have sixpence. You could say to the ferry, I own here, we'll pay you the next time. You could say to Neilachan on the bus, and you, uh, he yeah. was a McDougall as well, uh, I'll pay you the next day, no problem. But you had to have sixpence to pay. So, a fellow Cameron had some connection to Craig Newer's shop. It was a Cameron's that owned the shop at that point in time. This is my memory. I'm not saying it's exactly exact. I'm not sure about that. Spank or somebody like that will say, oh, it's, it's basically right. Uh, <laughs> but this fellow Cameron made money somewhere. And he came home and he said to our girl in county council, I'll give you half the money if you build that pier now, not bugger around, sorry. Uh, and that's how Craig New York Pier came. Right? So it was a Labour government in power. The only way that David McBrain could get money out of the government to build modern car ferries, the modern ferries, was to build them as nuclear shelters. So, <laughs> so the Heb- I didn't know that at all. The Hebridean princess, the clansmen, and the Hebridean... Well, the Hebridean princess came out of Hall, Russell and Aberdeen as the Clumber. Yes, yeah. Right? The Clumber, the clansmen and the Hebrides, they, they all came out more or less together. And Captain Colin McDonald from along the road there anyway, or he's dead now, but, but uh, he was the skipper of the Clumber, and she came in with a hoist. So they changed the timetable, and from the first sailing in the morning to the last at night, she couldn't keep up, because depending on if the tide was low, they lifted six cars up, yeah, and then they, couldn't, they had to come back down empty. Yeah. So she was obsolete before she started. Oh, gosh. And that's what I'm saying to you, you know, and it was the same with this pier here. The more often come on, you know, the the Rassi, you know, you know, the front, you know, it should be in Tobermory. Used to do the before oh, yes. Russian come on. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them. Uh, she came in the run here with Donald Gibby. Of course, there was no breakwater in here. So those piers really were wrong. Mm-hmm. And was probably to a certain degree, they're still wrong. Mm. Uh, but that's hindsight, and that's a great thing. It's, you know. But anyway, that's. <laughs> sidetracked the the, the the wee pier then was the, the main one for the, the the ferries and if a car came on to Iona it stayed in Iona because yeah. it came across in planks the Gibson Salister Gibson had the ferry rights from a Gale County Council at that time and he it was two shillings return and Alistair Gibson went to Gale County Council and said if you let me charge the tourists two and six I'll let the Iona folk go free and I'll get a hold of the Balahulish ferry because the bridge was getting talked of getting oh, built yeah. at that time yeah. and I'll use that for shipping the cars across. Because David McBrain saw the potential, the money potential for <laughs> Iona ferry. <laughs> so Alistair, he didn't, they didn't renew his... Oh, you know. That's rubbish. So anyway, that's my interpretation, Alistair. Ian McKenzie grazed the Treshnish Islands mm-hmm. and Staffa, the bottom end of Col, he had a half share in the Col Hotel and also in the Scarnish Hotel in Tay. I remember my father used to take the Iona Crofters out to clip the sheep on Staffa. Mm-hmm. And after he was finished working up at the Abbey in the evening time, it must have been May or June time, something like that. Anyway, they were going out this night to, to clip the sheep and my sister and I, we stowed away in the forecastle <laughs> and once we got out to the end of the sound we stuck our heads out and <laughs> it was too late to turn back then. <laughs> and so we're out and it was at the north end of Staffa that, that we took the animals on and off 
And that's my first memory of Staffa. Really? Right, that night. And I don't remember my first time seeing Fingal's Cave. Really? I really don't. But there's photographs in the house of us in the boat with a big Churchill pram in the boat. And that would be my youngest sister as a baby. Gosh. I think that must have been neither 19... Those both incidents must have been 1954 or 1955. Because our father was killed in 1955, yeah. so it could have been it could have been the summer of 55 yeah. or 54, but that was a Sunday, and they didn't do anything on a Sunday in those days, other yes. than family. And the folk in the photograph is Alec Hislop, and he was the warden or the caretaker of up at the Ione community. But that was us just out at staff as as tourists or visitors. Yeah. But I don't remember Fingal's Cave. I, don't, I really don't, and if I think how many hundreds of thousands of times I've seen it <laughs> since, uh, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot. Maybe you blanked it out for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, it's funny, you know. But a, a few years ago, this fellow in the boat says to me, he says, I was out here working, he says, uh, uh, with the Waterville, a Welshman. And I get speaking to him, and then he was back, you know, he says, I kept a diary of all that work that was, you know, the stairway and all that. Oh, gosh, wow. And, and uh, he says, I'll send you a copy of it. And I've got a copy of his diaries and hanging off the cliff, drilling the rocks to put the, the, you wow. know, the metal ladder in. Uh, because wow. they wanted to he, he he was running out of a ferry at that time. And they were going to build a pier further up the shore, you know, really? up towards the Puffins. And that was the month of June, and, and the Royal Engineers came in, and, and they were going to make those gabions and make a pier there. And the gale came and washed it all away. Oh, really? Uh, do you ever notice when you walked up to the puffins in the gully, there, yeah. was, there was a big compressor there, oh, right. a ruin of a compressor, and that was a compressor, the, <laughs> the, the, and it got washed up into the gully. And that was in the month of June. You know, folks say, oh, summer, it gales any time. Yeah. So, uh, that's, uh, so when you're growing up, who stands out from the past? I suppose they were all characters in their own right. Cammy Cameron along at Tremor, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That that's a relation of uh, well, that would be Freena McDougall's uncle. Mm-hmm. That that's as near as I suppose you can get there. What was what was distinct about Cammy? Well, I suppose he was the one that everybody kind of referred to. He, he had a great mind, he, 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 all, you know, for thinking things out, but also for remembering things. But he couldn't dance worth a tuppenny tosser. Seemingly, he's... Two left feet. Uh, none of the girls like getting asked up to dance by Cammy because it's just... <laughs> <laughs> well, it brings us around to uh, the ferryman. So who was the ferryman when you were growing up? Up, up until 1943, it was a, a Johnny McDonald that was a ferryman. Right. And he died very suddenly. And there was no ferry for a while. And that Ian McKenzie, uh, he had a boat at that time. And also... That's uh, awful. Ma- Ma- well, it, just, it was during the war and there was nothing much coming that way. Uh, and Mary MacArthur's uh, uncle had a boat because that's he had the he had the contract for ferrying the cargo ashore from the Dinara and the Hebrides and that. Then the McKechnie brothers were released from the pool, the merchant navy pool, to come home and take over the ferry. But they had no house. So the houses are on this side of the ferry shop. The council built a prefab there. Right. And that was a ferryman, the ferryman's house. But his brother, because he wasn't a ferryman, had no house. And down where the ferry houses are today, you know, down beside Sandy there, yeah. uh, there was a granite house there to do with Tormoor Quarry. Right. So Dan McKechnie got the use of the rent of that house. And until one morning, my father was going away up to work first thing in the morning. And... He saw the flames coming out of the roof of the house, okay. the smoke or something. And he called into Walter Tyndall at that time in the St. Columbia Hotel and they phoned the Western Fire Brigade in Tubberwarry. Okay. But by the time they got down, the house was, they lost everything, okay. everything, everything. And uh, do you know where 
Charlie McDougall stayed, Veronica McDougall. You know, when you turn up to Fijian Road, okay. if you're going here up to the top car park, that house in the corner there, okay. that was the ferryman's house. That's where Joey McDowell and his wife stayed. She kept the house after Johnny died. And there was a wee house beside it. And that's where Dan and Annie and Duncan, the son, stayed. Until the ferry houses were built that you know today on that. In fact, that, that stone out of that granite house came over here to rebuild the abbey. Really? Aye. No, it did. Mm-hmm. And that was the McKegnus. They actually came from Inver. And they came off longer to come into Inver. We were always told as kids it was a there was a plague in in, in Lunga. Really? You know, it could have been measles, it could have been chickenpox, or right. I don't know what it was. Well, you'll have been in Lunga and seen the good houses that are there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they were one of the families, and they come in they come into Inver. Where Douglas Alexander's that house that Douglas Alexander's got in Inver. You know what I mean? <coughs> You know where Rosie's organic garden is? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. On the other side of the river from that, there's a house. Ah, that looked right, key. That, that was McKechnie's house. And they sold it to Douglas Alexander. So they all moved away there, up about Allerpool or something like that. That's McKechnie's. I don't know what generation came off longer. Yeah. I really don't know that. Uh, because that really... That side of the water was a foreign country to us. Oh, aye. You know, we were... Really, we never really did very much over there. Yeah. There was only actually, there was only two kids in Finnefer. Really? Aye. God. When we, because uh, Johnny Marcus, Katrina McLeod, uh, Ivor McLeod's mother, they were older than us. So there was only Duncan McKechnie and Anne Livingston, Anne Gibson, you know Brian yes, Gibson yeah. that's in, in Tog, his mother. Right. Was brought up in the shore house at the top oh, of the pier. There we go. Right. So it was only Anne and Duncan going to school up to Craig School, and that would be Sandy Brenton's mother that'd be teaching. Yeah, but yeah. there was there was ones coming out of Bogalee and that. Uh, those McCormick's coming out of Bogalee. The Cameron's coming down from Petit. No, they're too young, I think. Right, just tiny amount of folk. Uh, no, no, I think no, maybe maybe Malcolm Feeding, but aye, there was only. There was only Duncan. I remember Trine as an older girl being very red hair, mm-hmm. uh, being in the Iona ferry, sailing back and forth with the uh, Angie and Dan in the ferry. Yeah. But older than older than us, you know, so they'd be away. She'd be in high school. And maybe Trine didn't see because Benesson was junior secondary at that time. Yeah. No, so I don't, I don't know what they did. So there's a Collinsy connection with the, the ferryman eventually as well. Can you say a little bit about um, Dolly B, Dol- Donald Gibby? Um, what was what was he like? Well, I'll need to start at the start of that yeah. quickly. Right. Because David McBrain, as I told you, they took over the contract of running the Iona Ferry and they took a man from Oban in to run the ferry. We had just, just built the Silver Spray fishing boat at that time and we were laying the moorings over in the safe anchorage over in the bull hole. And Katrina Noble from Bogalee's grandfather, Bob McClellan, coming out of uh, Termoor, where Jane stays today. We see him rowing up through bull hole looking for us. He says, and we had two and a quarter ton of chain hanging over the side of the boat. And he says, the Iona ferries are sure in the Iona. Can you do something about it? And we had only the boat about a fortnight or something, a week home, something like that. Anyway, uh, so we come over anyway, and I own a ferry's ashore and below the village. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we managed to save it. But Angus Johnson, he was just coming to buy the Columbia Tail, and all his furniture was in the ferry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and a whole lot of stuff. Anyway, we saved the thing anyway. And uh, so that ferryman, he got replaced. A man from Lachalan, I think. Then Jackie Wallace came from Aaron or thereabouts, yeah. and he was good. He was good. He kept us going that winter. And then Donald Gibby, Donald McNeil from Collinsy, because that was that would be him just finishing his peer master in Collinsy at that time. And he he came and he gave us an excellent service over the, quite a lot of years actually. Yeah. Uh, I think Donald would be the first person to admit that he, he was short in the grain. But as regarding giving the owner people a ferry service, he was 
par excellence. Mm. You know, you didn't because of different rules and regulations and all the rest of it today. You're not just computers have buggered it up a wee bit mm-hmm. because everybody looks at X E weather or wind guru or ah, wet yes. seaweed or yes. whatever it is, and they're all. It's like Neil Jordan's getting married at the North End up in the White Strand on Saturday. The forecast on Monday was 55 mile an hour for Friday, for tomorrow. Within two days, it went from 55 mile an hour down to 14 mile an hour. <laughs> now, everybody looks at that, yeah. ferryman included, and they plan accordingly. Yes. Well, <laughs> you know, that's the way it is. So, but Donald, <laughs> he didn't have... <laughs> He didn't have computers. <laughs> so he just got up in the morning and came. You know, uh, brilliant. Yeah. And it, it was difficult for him at times. Well, uh, first of all, he was in open launches. Oof. You know, and, and that was fine. And then eventually the Morphin came on, you know, the, the, the one that used, well, the same class as what used to be in the Kilahoon. Uh-huh. And uh, she came on then, 1979 or something right, like that, okay. I think we got the first car ferry. And he kept it going for quite a few years. Uh, and then eventually decided to retire and he went back home to Collins. And, and we actually flitted him down with a, with a silver spray. In fact, the pier in Collins is built with Tormoor granite. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So the, the old pier. Yeah, yeah, it's a hardly curved one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Aye, that's where that stone came from. From the Termoa. Goodness me. Right. And that, that connection takes you to Alex Stewart, the cricketer. Oh, I don't know anything about him at all. Well, it was McCormick, sort of the quarry masters over there. Yeah. And that takes you to Professor Neil McCormick, Professor of European Law in Edinburgh University, Alex Salmon's top European advisor. Things might have been different today if he'd still been alive. He died uh, a few years ago now. He wasn't very well then. And then his brother, you know, his cousin, uh, was anchor man in Newsnight for a long time of years. What was he? Ian, the politician. Mm-hmm. He, he died there and all over here. But all, they're all coming out of that McCormick's of Termoor. Amazing. Uh, in fact, there was a family up at the north end of Iona way back before there was any security or tenure, mm-hmm. and they were accused of stealing. Oh, right. on Iona and nobody in Iona could afford to take them in mm-hmm. although the, whether they were innocent or guilty I really don't know but because they would, they would have been put out by the Duke and the only folk that took them in was uh, uh, Neil, uh, Neil I think it was Neil uh, not sure Neil McCormick anyway started the printing Iona printing press the, those McCormicks of the quarry over there took them in anyway and I think they went away to Canada after that The security of tenure that people had in their homes under Duke of Argyll, I don't imagine, was it fantastic at the time. I think a way back then it was difficult yeah. because it could, you, if he didn't like your cut, then you're away, whether you liked it or not. Uh, one of those McCormick's is an uncle of mine, I was an uncle of mine, and I, I remember him telling us a house along the, the bottom shore there, there was two families, one on either end of the house, and the rent was to go up, and one refused to pay the rent, and he could put out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing. Just off you go, and, and the other side couldn't do anything about it. They they had to pay up. Uh, well, the National Trust then, but well, Hugh Fraser of Harrods bought Iona, oh, and then ugh, there'll be a wangle. They uh, gave it to the National Trust, but by that time, Crofting Law had come in, Alistair. You see, so those crofters are security at tenure, right? Uh, and the likes of this house that we are sitting in today, the, the previous owners or the original owners, they they own this land yeah. and this house. Yeah. Whereas the one that's next door to us uh, was in a 99-year lease. Okay. And that was quite interesting, actually. Uh, in a roundabout way, the immediate family that were in the house had died and it had been left to... Nieces. And they decided, they weren't on a owner, and they decided to sell. And in a roundabout way, we learned that the 99 year lease was coming very near the end of its tenure. So we managed to go into the National Trust, we told them to get 
they're usually working in first gear and low ratio to, <laughs> to go up a wee gear or two. So they they managed to get funding together and they bought the house. Uh, so today it's uh, it's got tenants in it. Right. And it'll never be sold to a holiday house. And that's happened quite a bit. Now, you know, you know, you know, one of your questions way back at the beginning is how's Iona doing? All those islands are fragile. Yeah. Or any community that's on the edge is fragile. Yes. It doesn't take very much to change it. But Iona just now, Iona in August this year will have more children in the school than Benesson will have. That's wonderful. 20 years ago, come August, there would have been no children in Iona school. That's insane. So, and there's a whole there's a whole lot of story in there. Yes. Uh, but it it's it's good to see. It's fantastic it, to see. Uh, but <laughs> uh, if, if you want to keep it going, then it's got to keep evolving. Yes. You know, anything that, anything that stops dies. Yes. Uh, and whether that means you know, there's talk of breakwaters here just now and things like that. Yeah. Uh, those things will have to be done. Yeah. You know, they've got to be done. Yes. Uh, because that's progress. Yeah. And it's good. It's good. You know, you know for example, just now, that uh, takes you back to XE Weather. <laughs> Open High School looks at XE Weather yes. on a Wednesday or a Thursday and says, oh, it's a breeze of wind on Friday. We don't want to pay people in Glencruton Hostel over time or what send them home so those children are coming home on a Thursday they leave home on a Monday (laughs) or maybe on a Tuesday if the weather's bad Monday morning Mm, it's rubbish poor Mm. now if you and me were the same we wouldn't do homework or work at our books when we come home no I certainly (laughs) (laughs) and in terms of your own education what what was the school like here when you were growing up we got a very good education who were the teachers when you were here well the first teacher I had was Miss Yule Uh, connection to the Tobermory no not as far as I know but I really know I don't know that right okay but she stayed over in Craig her and her brother so possible it could be so maybe only had her for a year or somewhere and then she retired and Gordon Grant's mother-in-law got the job Mrs right. MacArthur uh, and she was our teacher for all my years in fact she taught a lot of us uh, she was very good she was really very good what sort of things did you do that made it sort of memorable well she taught us to dance ah brilliant all that different things like that yeah. one teacher yes yeah and she went away for three or four days in October for the conference, and that was all. Yeah. You really to. But no, we had... <laughs> Yeah. When I was that generation, we all had to set the qualifying exam. The 11 plus, sir. Yeah. But you had to set the first one first, the prelim or whatever it was. Yeah. And I, I was only one sitting it because the other boy that was with me, uh, he was going away to boarding school and the other boy was going away to Glasgow because he'd been brought up here by what he would call his granny, but there was no blood connection. Yeah. Uh, and his father had remarried. His mother died when he was a baby, so this granny brought him up here. Yeah. And then the father remarried in Glasgow, so he was going to secondary school mm-hmm. when he went back to Glasgow. So I was the only one going to Oban High that year. And... <laughs> Anyway, I, I got the paper in front of me and I wrote my name on it and that was all I did. I sat for whatever time it was and didn't, pay, didn't do anything. And Mrs MacArthur said to the authorities that she knew that this boy could do more than Just what we <laughs> So I got a second chance at it. And I did all right. And then our headmaster at that time was a classic scholar, John McLean from Rassie. Ah, right. So Arley's brother. So brother. Exactly. <clears throat> he was a classic scholar. So anyway, I was good enough to go into an A class, which was Latin. And I said, I didn't want to do that. Oh, you'll need to do that. No, I said, I'm not. I want to do technical. Yeah. So anyway, I won the argument. Brilliant. And I did I did technical. And I took Gaelic and technical. <laughs> I don't know whether it was good or not. But anyway, that's what I did. 
for my three, three and a bit years. So uh, what kind of like a catast? Bacon. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. It's, it's funny the bits that come back to you. I mean, that's 60 years ago. Yes, indeed. Uh, and some of the bits still... I can, get, you know, the more you do it, then I think you. Uh, anyway, uh, who was the gallant teacher? Uh, Doyle Morrison and uh, uh, Dan Morrison, from, uh, both from Lewis actually, and that was my Gaelic teacher. That was it. Uh, and Colbury down that yep. was that was a hostel then, and it could only take thirty-two or thirty-three boys, right. same as the girls up the hill below the tower. It could only take about the same. So everything else was out in lodgings. So the first first year and a half, I was in lodgings in Oban. Oh really? Right. Uh, Who were you with? Uh, well, Ian Dougal has just died there the other day. Uh, I was in with him right. and boys from Arnicle down Glenbach, Kintyre. Uh, yeah. Because they were farming down there, and I suppose they, maybe they had money, I don't know. But they paid for their children to come up to Oban High School rather than Camel. Right. Uh, because Tarbert and Lockelpade were GS at that time. What's GS? Junior secondary. Oh, of course. So they, they came up to them. So I was in lodgings with them. Right. And then I got a space in the hostel. And how was that? I enjoyed the hostel life. Yeah. I really, I, Who was there with you? Uh, my older brother was there. Char- oh, nice. Charlie Horse was there. A boy, Duncan McDonald from Kingerloch. Uh-huh. Uh, Cameron uh-huh. Fletcher. Yeah. Uh, a boy, James McLean from Tyree. Uh, aye, quite a few. Aye. What sort of adventures and roguery did you get up to? Well, well we didn't go home at those at those times. Yeah. You know, we only got home at the holidays. And we used to curse the sales because the school always seemed to break up on a sale day. And yeah. It might have been a Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not very sure now. But in those days, the, the Lachern went open, Lismore, Craig and Ewer. And of course, by the time you get down here to Finnefort then it was dark so you you had to stay with Katie Sheep now as we called her Katie McDonald that night and then get down to Finnefort the next day so anyway we had to go on the road on a Saturday morning in fact uh, Spank was in the hostel as well after, me, after ah, me as well we had to go in on a Saturday morning to post, post our washing home and so we'd walk in the road but we had to pay £8 a year I think it was because David McBrain's one of David McBrain's buses was contracted to take us into the school in the morning uh, and take us home at night and we had and God almighty the kids today are even getting this Iona ferry ticket paid for them it doesn't cost them anything nowadays anyway and we had to pay for our digs as well uh, so we uh, <laughs> Well, you get something back. I think my mother was reimbursed by so much. But anyway, and then we were allowed out on a Saturday night to go to the pictures. Oh. <laughs> anyway, the other boy that was in the hostel was a, was a boy, Hopkins, from Isla. Okay. Michael Hopkins and his older brother, David. And, and their father was the excise man from Isla. <laughs> a very popular character, I'm sure. So anyway, Michael had to get us a taste of the this whiskey. <laughs> so along that Kalbawi Road, there's horse trucks every right. so many hundred yards, yeah. Wales. <laughs> anyway, this night, this James McLean, he, he was smoking the pipe. <laughs> and we set off for the pictures. It's, um, you know, McGregor, you know where the gin shop is? Yes, okay. Well, that was a picture house then. Okay. Uh, and then when that closed, that's where Willie Lewis started, Tesco's. Right. Te- you know the, you know Jackson's the butchers? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And there's an optician beside it. Right, yeah. Well, that was the first Willie Lewis in Oban, that show. Right, okay. yeah. And then they moved to the picture house, and then where they are now. Anyway, Michael brought back a wee bit of this pure spirit. Oof. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we set off for the pictures. And Jazz, he's puffing away the like a steam engine, puffing up. And I go in. Anyway, we get into pictures. And this boy, one of the boys, anyway, he's dead now. I think. And he started. He had he had been taking bigger sips than the rest of us. I think. <laughs> and he started going wild in the picture house. <laughs> so I had to take him out. Oh, no. And we set off back to the hostel. And every bloody horse trough we came to. Put him into the hostel and oh, sober him up. Then we'll get back to the hostel and it was a spiral fire escape. 
So we couldn't take him in the front door, could we? So we had to, had to come up. That was great. That was an epic. In fact, that, that uh, had a turret. Yes, yeah. Right? And the round glass in it. Well, we come back from the summer holidays. I can't remember who it was. Then we were having a carry-on up. We'd been put up a dorm, <coughs> whatever year it was. Yeah. And anyway, we were having a carry-on. And I threw a shoe at this boy and he ducked and the shoe went through the bloody oh, no. <laughs> through the window and I, I had to pay for it yeah of course <laughs> but talking of glass again we're having another carry on in the hostel and there was a conservatory out then where the lockers were and of course we're running like mad around the all round and round and round, round and the next thing I couldn't stop to turn and I, my hand went through the window oh yeah uh, have you oh. have you ever spoken to Alistair McCall from Killacoan no, not yet, no. Do you know who I mean? No. Uh, he's another character for you, actually. I'd love to talk to him. Again, he's a wee bit older in school than me, but yeah. he was there at the same time. And he he actually got hold of me and he got a tourniquet in my arm. Oof. Uh, and they got me to the hospital. Oh, my Anyway, goodness. I survived, but the blood was going everywhere. That's quite a dramatic one, yeah. Oh, that was a big one. Huh? Uh, still today, I haven't got a feeling in that finger. Really? No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> that half of that one yeah. and it was welding one day I'm smelling flesh burning <laughs> it was that finger never I never felt a thing <laughs> go making sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was uh, and then one of the teachers stayed in the coach house mm-hmm. and they we had to do two hour study every night yeah yeah but that that was part of the thing mm-hmm. and it was a, a, an Irish woman that was uh, the matron Mary McBride, and if we ever get into trouble at the school, uh, she would stick up for us. She was very oh, good. Oh, brilliant. Oh, uh, uh. But that John McLean, he had a thousand pupils, or near enough a thousand pupils, and I would say he knew all of them. Wow. You know, if you passed him in the corridor, he, he would know who you were, yeah. and he would ask you how you were doing or whatever. Oh, that's nice. Uh, uh, he, was, he, he, was, he was very good. Yeah. He was strict, but he was good. There was another brother as well, but I'm not very... I think he might have been a doctor. But Sorley was... Uh, right. Well, you see, Sorley, Sorley McLean's daughter is married on to uh, a boy, with David Ross, the reporter, right. with Iona Connections. Right. His mother's Iona. Mary MacArthur. David Ross and Mary MacArthur are cousins. You see? Just, he just wrote the book there, yeah. David Ross. So you've got your school life, and then... Um, what about uh, your working life? How did you how did you start after school? What did you do? Well, we had no we weren't crofters. I suppose yeah. our thing was we were cotters, I suppose. Right. Uh, and that only allows you to have a ladder rack. So we had nothing, really, yeah. basically nothing. You had the security of the house though, didn't you? No, because that was my grandmother's. The, oh. My father my father signed the house over to his mother uh, when he went away to war. And of course, at 36 years of age, you don't think you're going to die. So nothing was done about uh, taking it back. So that was in a way the other way. Uh, so we had nothing, no security or nothing. Oh, and uh, so I left school on the 1st of April 1964. And I started working for Walter Tyndall in the Clumber and Moyle Farm on the 2nd of April 1964. <laughs> and I never drew up penny unemployment yeah. all my life and then I did a, maybe a couple of years with him on the farm and then I went away as I said to you uh, well I went actually first of all to McBrain's to the ferry boats ferrying really? out to the King George and at Stafford so I did the, maybe that a couple of years and then I went away and I was fishing with a dinghy and stuff right uh, what were you fishing for? Uh, lobsters and uh, and then I went to Alistair McDonald and then I bought that boat from him. Which boat was that? The Devotion. She actually ended up her life up at uh, Aris Bridge. I sold her to a boy who worked for Francis in Edinburgh and he was in the BBs or something like that and he wanted to bring her, she was built in 1904 in Pitt and Weem originally as a sailing boat and uh, so he wanted to bring her back to sail again to take out the boys and 
Uh, anyway, and he was just coming up and down from Edinburgh, and he died as a young man, just very suddenly. She ended up anyway at Iris Bridge, along with the Craig Newer. Oh. Now there's still bits of the Craig Newer there yet. Right. Right. You know this. Is she on the shore? Ah, over another. When you're aye, uh, underneath the car. Well, but yeah. Uh, the houses are just aye. to the right of the house. Well, the devotion was there as well, but she's a disappeared. But the Craig Newer, see, and the Craig Newer was owned by David McBrain. And she was the ferry boat that Craig Newer that we would go into when we were going back and forth to school. Oh. The sixpence. Right, okay. Uh, along with George Klein's, they, had the, they, they operated the ferry and they had their own boat as well as the Craig Newer, called the Craig Newer, yeah. painted red. And then she came down here uh, to do the ferry here. And then uh, Gordon Grant bought her. No, there was a, there was a newspaper cut in here, I thought it would be. That's, that's a, you know. Who's your bug? Well, uh, that was Tweed. Alright. And we used to graze the Threshing Islands. Uh-huh. And also had them for the farm as well. But, uh, Tony Bo's got a dog called Tweed. Uh, it's, that's, that was a boat we had built. That's lovely. Right. So, Tweed, yes. when we went fishing, he would go in behind the wheelhouse yeah. and he would just stay there all day and that's fine. Uh, we're coming up the sound at night heading for the anchorage in Bull Hole and then we're just going to come home in a dinghy. Got to Bull Hole, tied up, no sign of the dog. Oh no. That's fine. Oh God, I'm busy. So then we, we let go and went away back down the, the sound and the wind was in the opposite direction of what it is today when I way back down the end of the sound no sign of the dog come back up into the hole come home and we're coming back across the sound and we're seeing this dog stand at the pier <laughs> now now his father was up the road and he was the same half right. half and half uh, and here's the dog that's the dog so we were right beside the Mull shore. We weren't in the Iona shore. Nowhere near Iona. Uh-huh. And the dog swam to Iona. Now, any animal will swim. You think, oh. When we used to put the lambs into that red boat, yeah, yeah. right, if the wind was coming from where it is today, and the, if a lamb fell in between the boat and the pier, it wouldn't swim to the beach, which you would do. Yeah. It would turn and swim out the way because it would smell on the land. And any animals the same. If, if you watch the old cowboy mo- movies, you know, and they were swimming them across the Rio Grande, yeah, yeah. then they would get so that the wind was in their face. So they would go. So that's what he did. He swam, ac- he swam across the sound. <laughs> and he was nice and clean after. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, Aye, so yeah. That's the first recording. Right. 1938. 1938. But you see, there's no money there. Though. No. You know, that must have been hard going. The, the, the granny did the boarders, and that's really how they survive. What was, and he was fishing lobsters? Aye, aye. Send, send them to Billingsgate. Ah. And if you, Again, yeah. if you interview any of those older yes. uh, people, then it was blue slips or whatever colour it was to say they were dead. Yeah. And that was it. You know, finished. Whereas yeah. yeah. one of the exhibitions came along, and I can never remember... It must have been the Empire or one of them. No dead lobsters. Made a lot of money that year because there was a big demand in London for them. Whatever year it was, anyway, it was London. Mm-hmm. And that was a big, big demand. But the, in fact, you earlier on, Alistair, you said about a clerk from Collins. Yes, yeah. Well, one of them clerks was the skipper of the Denara Castle. Oh, right. Or the Hebrides, one of the two. You know, and that... So when we were kids, uh, I don't really remember the Denara, but I remember the Hebrides. So the Hebrides left the Brumalaw yeah. and they came down round the Mall. Uh, I don't know about Gear, but certainly Collinsey, yeah. Iona, yeah. Benesson, yeah. Tyree, Call, Sky. Back wow. down. And at that point in time, they were still producing cheese and coal. Right? So on the outward journey it was dropping off and then it came back in so it would pick up the cheese and then Benes and Iona threw everything off and then away back and and 
likes my aunt and those folk were talking about going to Glasgow, steerage. Yeah. Because that was a cheap way to go. Yeah. So they go on the Denara here, yeah. the Hebrides or whatever it was, and then call and say back into Glasgow. And it was a fellow clerk that was the skipper of that. And those boys, no radar, a watch and a compass. Oh, gosh, I know. Time. Yeah. Time was there. Two minutes in that course, three minutes in that course. And they were coming through the rocks down there. Some of them young boys that I'm working with today wouldn't go through the bloody rocks and with I layer or even with that boat. No. <sighs> Cruise the world. But those were right through. Rolling along. Oh. In fact, you're talking about McAllister's. And Willie, Willie John McAllister, he was, he was one of McBrain's skippers on the cargo boat and uh, he would come through the coolest and all those wee places. Uh, your working life starts off when you've got your own boats, you're fishing lobsters. Mm-hmm. And then when do you, when did you start? You went into tourism as well. well. I, I, I'll, so I'm fishing lobsters Aye. and doing all right, but I could see the writing in the wall for lobsters. It was, it was getting harder to make a pound. So we decided to go to the crabs. The only folk I knew at that point in time on the West Coast that were fishing crabs uh, were some of the Malig men, right? And they were all going to the processor. In fact, a lot of them were just, it was the claws that were going, not the bodies. Anyway, uh, this takes us to Spank as well, actually. <laughs> so, anyway, we go to the crabs, and we never fished for crabs before commercially. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Young Seafoods, and they had a f- processing factory up in Verberve, Stonehaven. So, how are we going to get them there? We, when we up with a van, Big load of crabs up. They were happy enough with the crabs, right? We'll, we'll take your crabs. So, Alistair McPhail along the road, Krypton Factor. You know what I'm talking about? No. no. I remember the Krypton Factor, the game, yeah. Well, hey, a boy McAllister won it. Oh, right, okay. And Alistair McPhail from along the road there came second. <laughs> right, so to this day, his nickname's Krypton. Right. Very clever boy and very fit at that point. Very good at all climbing obstacles oh, and just, solving puzzles with aye, big blocks. Aye. And to this day, he was sitting in that chair where you are yesterday afternoon, and he's, he's still to this day, he's got a great mind, still at the fishing actually. Oh, he says, I was in school with Spank, he says, and he's just starting hauling because his father had the lorry yeah. and the gas. Yeah. Uh, I says, he's just starting. So, phone Spank, aye, he says, we'll haul, you, we'll haul your, I'll haul your crabs up to uh, Stonehaven for you just a tipper lorry yeah. and uh, no pier here so steamed to Benesson had to get into Benesson pier so we had every second day Spank would meet us at Benesson load the crabs up and he would go up and then we'd go back out and fish again and then uh, the factory said oh we got a letter from saying that's the factory closing for the season mm-hmm. so what are we going to do so <laughs> Sands Uncles have you, have you heard that name no no well, but anyway, Sands comes on the phone and says, Crabs, you need to cut them. How would you cut a crab? How would you nick a crab? Don't know. So, his manager in Isla, uh, he comes on the phone and told us what to do. He says, You got a wedge, Davy, he says, and an oak wedge. And he says, That's what the Channel Island boys do. Right. Where the hell, do, where do you get oak on Iona to make a wedge? <laughs> Anyway, so we actually got bed iron and we made a metal wedge. So it was it was like that, and then it came down tip, yeah. right? Diamond shape, and then eventually, because you nick them in there, you just cut them in there. And it was, you sharpen a hacksaw blade and you put a bit of cloth around a short hack, and that's what we used. And then, of course, knives got better. And yeah. But I reckon I would be the first person to cut crabs in the west coast of Scotland, native west coaster. I might be wrong saying that, but Sands uncles would have gone somewhere else for crab. Anyway, we got down to Isla, we had to steam down to Isla, put asking to land them. And uh, uh, we're down in this particular week. And then uh, the manager boy says, No, no money, David, today. Oh, this is fine, David. This is no crabs. You better get in the phone. So he goes away up to the tail and he phone Sands and blah, blah, blah. Banker's draft. So we sat, we sat in Isla waiting to hear, because nobody no mobile phones, I had to wait for the phone. And then we get the work, the bank, money's in the bank, get your crab. So uh, 
Have you ever been in Isla? Yeah, yeah, many times, yeah. Sailed into Park Island. Uh-huh, yeah. Right. The old school's up at the top of the pier, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Sands uncles had bought that, and he converted it into the classrooms into lobster tanks. Right? The floors are all concrete, and wee walls, not very high, maybe the height of the seat or somewhere, uh-huh. not very high. <laughs> so, anyway, once or twice we went over with the van, over the hill, to, and then Davy would take us back over to the boat again. Then a gale came. Uh, by this time, the heating was in up at the abbey, okay. coming from the sea, extracting, doing more or less what they're going to do with the, out of the ground. But the sea's always warm. Ah. Right. So as a pipe goes from out in the sound there, up to below the ground up at yeah. the abbey, and it's pumped there and converted into heat. Right. Oh, that's brilliant. Right. European money, but no money to... Europe's still the same today. No money to back it up. Mm. No money for maintenance. Yeah. This pipe was choking here. I was in the refectory up at the Abbey one night and you couldn't put your hand in the radiator. It was that hot. So they had to then wire it up back to Edinburgh so that they could turn the heating down automatically because the thermostats... <laughs> because the Abbey, that's worse for the Abbey than it is to be wet. Oh, it's right, seemingly okay. too dry. Right. Sands Uncle's is private enterprise. So he, you know, for L&B, it's like out there, it's yeah. white sand. So he's got a pipe going out into the bay. And this gale comes and the tanks fill with sand until the pumps stop. But what does he do? He extends the pipe out and uses the sand as a filter. But what he discovered then was that the crabs, if he took crabs off as today, see, and they weren't going away until the following Monday, the crabs were digging holes in the concrete. <laughs> Honest to God. Big potholes in the bottom of the concrete. And they had no legs left. Oh, no. Because they wore, they wore their legs off. Aye. So they were left with claws and no legs. Oh, so yes. they were lifeless. So it ended up from that, then the lorry had to start coming into Finnefer, pick them up. That's bizarre. So that was our evolution of crabs. And now everybody's fishing crabs. Uh, yeah. And the only folk who were fishing crabs, other than the Malig men, the Channel Island boys were up fishing the west side of Uist and that. Really good. That's and, away. Uh, and so they would fill up with lobsters. In the last day or two days, they would cut crab. And that was the only folk I know that cut crab uh, commercially on the west coast of Scotland until we started. So how did you start with the tourists then? Well, well, that picture that I showed you earlier on says that was my grandfather taking tourists to staff. So he would row them or sail them or whatever. And my, as I said to you, my father did it, my uncles did it. And then uh, my uncle, uh, he retired from the police and he came back home and he, he started running again to staff. And then he built the first aisle there uh, and he worked away with that for two or three years, but she wasn't big enough. She had no shelter on her, really. That was the biggest yeah, problem. Okay. Uh, folk were shouting for shelter. Yeah. Uh, so we commissioned this island. And that's so I just finished 26 years here last year with her. And I've just sold her to Graham. Yep. And I'm still doing two days. <laughs> I mean, there's so, so much we could talk about and maybe if it's okay to come back another time in the future, maybe later in the year. Well, thank you so much for your time. That's absolutely incredible. It's just a wee back. That's totally fine by me. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's fine. That's that's no bother. Thank you very much. You'll maybe get something out of it. Thank you so much for your time, Davey. I'm so pleased we were able to get a chance to meet up, and thank you also, Carol, for the wonderful scone. There is so much to talk about with Davey. You can hear that straight away. Before we started recording, we were talking about the Benesson sale, which I didn't know anything about, so I'd love to talk to more people about that and hear tales of beasts and people. I'm very conscious of not having made it over to record any of these episodes on Iona before this, so I'm delighted to have been able to make it over. I'm working with the school over there soon, doing a film education project in the coming months. So I'll be back in the Ross and on Iona a lot more in the near future, and I'm hoping to make plenty more recordings there in the weeks and months to come. The trip over to Iona is one of my favourite journeys. The blue of the sound of Iona is ever-changing, and, as Gordon Bruce pointed out on Instagram, the colour depends on which way the wind is blowing. I remember 
number of years ago after doing a show on Iona, we came back on Mark Jardin's boat and I remember the spread of the full Milky Way in all its glory above us as we crossed the sound. Now, it was absolutely beautiful. As Davy said, he's just recently sold up his business, Staffer Trips, but it's been bought over by a local family, the Tyndalls, and so you can go out from Iona to Staffa with his boat, the Isle Air. Have a look at their website on staffatrips.co.uk. Now, as these podcasts take a heck of a long time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. I mean, this, this one took forever. So if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even the price of a... Ah, no one listens to this, but anyway, through the website. And you'll see a donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. If you want to contribute to that, you're very welcome. The page looks a bit blank at the moment, so I want to furnish it with bits and bobs over the coming week to show that I'm actually working on it. But don't worry if you can't donate, or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listen than not. And on that note, thank you very much to Margaret. Your support is very, very much appreciated. A quick shout out to George, who's running his ultra soon, and to Stuart, running the London Marathon tomorrow. All the very best to both of you. Hope you enjoy yourselves. Spring, spring, springy, springy, spring. It's awfully nice. It's so nice, I've decided to record this outside. Here's the sound of our field. Mm, Nice. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you wanted to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be really grateful. And thank you to those of you that have. I really, really appreciate it. And also, thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Kayu, 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 kayu. Thank you for listening. Wherever you may be, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More and thang. Shenakate. What you got? What have you got? What have you got? What have you got? Have you got a microphone? No, don't run away with the mic. Don't run away with the microphone. No, no, no.